chapter 1. I really was saying all that just so you'd have time to find Haggai in your Bibles. Praise God. Amen. Haggai chapter 1, and we will begin with verse number 1. Haggai 1 and 1. In the second year of Darius the king, the sixth month in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Amen. So, the Lord, through the prophet Haggai, begins to quote the children of Israel. And um, he, as was, I pointed out on Sunday, was his custom, even when he was walking on earth in the flesh, he answered them with a question. I've found many times that's the best approach to take, that folks answer their own questions. And uh, it's amazing how much simpler it is to get folks convinced of things if they just answer their own questions. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so the people were saying, it's not time. It's not time. It's not time for us to do what? We are here in Israel to do. And God said, well, let's talk about the time. You say it's not time to build my house. My question is, is it time for you to dwell in your ornate, elaborate, highly decorated houses while my house is being totally ignored? Therefore, the Lord of hosts said, let's talk about it for a little while. Let's consider your ways. Amen. Praise God. Now, I realized that last week I failed to give a title. And I guess it's because sometimes it's just hard to come up with a good title. I'll be honest with you. Uh, sometimes it's hard to come up with a good message. And then sometimes it's hard to come up with a good title. And uh, it's when you don't have either one that you're really in trouble. And I've been there a few times, and I hope tonight's not one of them. But, um, you know, the best that, that, that I know, I, I know that titles sometimes help us to, as one man said, something to hang our hats on, something to, to get a hold of and grasp and know a little bit of the direction we're going. So the best title I could give this would be an ancient message for a modern church. Because there is something in this Old Testament book of Haggai that I believe applies, first of all, to the church of the living God in general. Amen. That's why it's here. I've, I've, taught, I've taught over and over that the things that are written in the Bible are not written so we can shout about what God did. They're written for our admonition. They are for us to know what God will do. And so the book of Haggai doesn't appear here just so we can know what God had to say to Israel. But I believe that there's a message in it for the church today. But not just for the church in general. But I really feel, and I feel it again tonight, that there is a specific message for this church there is a word for this group of people that God wants to give us. I'm telling you, God's ready to do something. Something, something is changing. Something has changed. Something 
is transpiring, and I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God's trying to get us ready for what he's about to do. Well, praise God. Amen, amen. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's lift our hands, lift our voices to the Lord right now. Let's ask God to speak to our hearts, everybody. Let's talk to the Lord together. presence. Jesus, help us. We love you, God. Let's worship him together. Let's worship the Lord together, everyone. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. God bless you. You may be seated tonight. As I said, I want to do just a, a brief, hopefully brief, review and uh, shouldn't take too much time to review a book that's only two chapters long. 38 verses to be exact. There are chapters, single chapters in the Bible longer than these two chapters, this one book. But, but there are some things in the book of Haggai that we need to know and we need to understand. And uh, because I do believe that there is a message there is a message that is applicable to us. And in fact, even as I began preparing for tonight, I felt so strongly that there is a specific, a specific word that God wants to declare to this church tonight. Well, praise God. Amen. And I want us to be in tune with the Holy Ghost. I want us to be uh, in tune with the Spirit of God tonight so that he that hath ears can hear what the Spirit has to say. I'm going to tell you what, what, what happened so many times uh, during the ministry, the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ was that Jesus spoke truth but the hearers didn't understand what he was saying. And they got angry and they got upset because they thought he was saying one thing simply because they didn't have the spiritual insight to understand the depth of his message. And I've seen the same thing happen many, many times in the church uh, uh, in the modern age that we're not in tune spiritually and we think something was said that that's not at all what was said. So I'm asking you tonight, let's, let's tap into the Holy Ghost, let's get in tune with the Spirit of God and let's see what God will say before we leave this house tonight. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Haggai is, is somewhat unique among the Old Testament prophets because most of those prophets preached prior to the captivity of the people of God. But Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi prophesied during the time uh, when they had returned from their captivity. Amen. Uh, there are a few that prophesied prior to and during the captivity. But these three men prophesied once God had started sending the remnant back to the land of promise. Now, the prophets of the past, the prophets pre-captivity had to preach a lot about idolatry. They had to deal with a lot of things that Malachi and, and Haggai and Zechariah really didn't have to deal with. And in fact, I'm going to tell you, even when Jesus walked the earth, for all of the problems that he found with Israel, idolatry was not one of them. Well, hallelujah. They had a lot of issues. But they didn't have a problem with idolatry. 
I think that got taken care of. I think they spent enough time uh, uh, in, in Babylon and listening to those people pray to their false gods and, and watching as God uh, brought victory after victory when the false gods of the Babylonians could do nothing. I think that forever those 70 years in captivity settled the issue among the Jews and, and idolatry is no longer their problem. But they had other problems. They had other problems that had to be dealt with. And uh, I could just throw this in tonight. And that is until that day when we hear him say, well done. Let me just assure you, we will all continue to have problems that need to be dealt with. We don't reach a place that we don't have something that God needs to work on in our lives. Well, hallelujah. Amen. And so the children of Israel may have overcome the problem of idolatry, but they had some other issues that God still had to work on. And so this little book of Haggai, just two chapters, as I said, just, just a few verses, really. Uh, it, it, is, it is a word for those who have come back to the land of promise and God is speaking specifically to them about an issue that is of the utmost importance. Now, there are only two chapters in this book, if your Bible's open, as it should be during Thursday night Bible study. If your Bible is open, you can see that there are only two short chapters in this book, but what you may not see and recognize is that in these two chapters there are really four brief discourses or sermons or prophecies that Haggai makes and each of them have a definite date to them. Haggai identifies when it was that he was preaching the message he's preaching. And, and what we know when you read the whole book is that all of this that is written here takes place uh, somewhere between August and December of the year 520 B.C. And so everything that we know about the ministry of Haggai uh, really came to us in less than six months. And yet there is extreme importance and significance to what he has to say, it was in 520 BC that prophet Haggai stood up and began to preach to the people. It had been 16 years since the Persian Emperor Cyrus had made his decree that they were to go back and start rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. And, and they had gone back. Some 50,000 of them had returned to Judea under the leadership of Zerubbabel. And, and they went back so that they could do this work of rebuilding the house of God. He meant they laid the foundation. They got off to a good start, but the devil stepped in and said, we're going to stop this right here, right now. We're not going to let it go any farther. Now the problem was that the people let the devil succeed. I'm convinced and have said many times, the devil can only go as far as we allow him to go. Brother Sistler said it so well the other night, it's not really the devil that I worry about. It's carnality. It's flesh. You can't cast flesh out. Hallelujah. It's carnality that I worry about. But the devil can have an impact if we let him have an impact. If we give him the room to do it, he can do it. He is seeking whom he may, not can, but may devour. Hallelujah. And so he convinced them to stop their work. And they did. Fifteen years had passed since they'd started the work. And now the foundation's there, and that's about it. A lot of weeds, a lot of rubbish, trash. It has just been totally neglected for more than a decade now. Uh, what started off 
as a great work. What started off uh, as a, a, a work that was coming from a unified people with a divine call and purpose was now nothing more than just an unfinished foundation. And the work was not done. But now, but now, but now, these 15 years later, God stirs up the heart of a prophet and he says it's time for you to do something. It's time for you to stir up the hearts of the people. They need to know they've sat around and done nothing long enough. What they did to begin with was great, but they can't stop until the work is completed. Well, hallelujah. Amen. It's not enough. And I'm going to tell you, and I don't want to get too sidetracked. I want to get to the new part of the message tonight. Amen. Or, or the, the, uh, the newer part for us, praise God, of the message tonight. But I do want to tell you, I've seen a lot of folks who get so content on what they used to be. I've had people, I actually had a man many years ago that told me, said, you know, I used to be a great soul winner. I used to really be a prayer warrior. I used to, and he would always brag about what he used to be. And yet at the time he was telling me this, he was none of the things he was bragging about. But he still felt so confident in his spirit and in his heart because of what he used to be. I'm going to tell you, God doesn't look at what we used to be. God looks at what we are. You know, let me just, and again, I don't want to get too sidetracked. None of this is in my notes, but it's what I'm feeling right now. But you know, if, if, if we were to call an accountant in here right now, if we were to ask Brother Mead to come back and review the books we did last year, if we were to ask him right now to come in and look at the books, I want to tell you, he wouldn't be concerned about where we were five years ago. He wouldn't be looking at the balance sheet from 20 years ago. As an accountant, he wants to know where we are right now. And I'm going to tell you, when we stand before God to give an account, God's not going to say, well, I know you were doing great 20 years ago, so I'm giving you a pass tonight. I'm going to tell you what matters is how we finish. It's not how we started, but it's how we finish that counts with God. And look, this works two ways. To those that are not uh, what, what, what to, you need to be, I'm going to tell you, God can put all of that under the blood and give you a brand new start and give you a brand new future. You don't have to be bound by what you used to be. God can start something new in your life tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he's not going to hold your past against you. He's not going to hold your past against you. You get it under the blood. You, you repent of your sins. You get baptized in Jesus' name. You get full of the Holy Ghost. To the backslider, you get a good renewing. To the lukewarm, you get set on fire. God will forget the past. God looks at where you are right now. When the trumpet sounds, it's not going to matter what you were yesterday. It's going to matter what you are at that second. And it's just as true about the good in our life. Because God's not going to reward us for the good of 20 years ago and let us get by with carelessness and apathy today. Somehow we've got to make up our minds that we're going to give it our best every day that we get out of bed. Well, hallelujah. The children of Israel had made a great start. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, it's a great thing that they left Babylon. They're to be commended for leaving Babylon. Their lives had grown comfortable in Babylon. They had started families in Babylon. Some of them, their children, look, they'd been there 70 years. There were adults that had been born in Babylon. That moving to Israel was a major change for them. They'd never been. They didn't know what it looked like. They didn't know anything about it. 
except the stories that they'd heard from their parents or grandparents. It was a major step. And so you have to applaud them for leaving Babylon and going back to a land that had been wasted. It had been desolate for 70 years. This wasn't like the first conquest when they crossed the Jordan River under Joshua's leadership. Then they were going in to houses they didn't build and to vineyards they didn't plant. But now they're going back to vineyards that haven't been touched in 70 years. Houses that haven't been touched in 70 years. Hallelujah. So you got to commend them for going back. And then they set about to lay the foundation and to rebuild the walls. And these are commendable things. But they couldn't rest on the fact that they started because the work wasn't done yet. And, and the Jews, however, had come to a place that they were perfectly content almost with a fatalistic resignation that there's no sense in trying. In fact, I pointed out to you last week that they had, they'd done some figuring and uh, Jeremiah had said you're going to be there for 70 years. And you see, when they came back, it, it had only been 55 years and they had started the process and then somebody got to thinking about it and said, well, God said it's going to be 70 and you know, we ran into problems and things got a little tough and uh, had a lot of enemies rise up and a lot of battles we had to fight and I guess it's just not time. And that's where we read our text. They said, it's not time yet that the Lord's house should be built. It hadn't been 70 years just yet. Now it had almost been 70 years when Haggai made his first proclamation. This is what we dealt with in our lesson last week because he began to talk to them and he said, it's amazing, it's amazing. God was saying this through the prophet. It's amazing that you've got this mindset that it's not time for God's house to be built, but you have not minded building your own and repairing your own and fixing up your own. But my house is nothing more than a foundation covered with rubbish and weeds. You know, the prophecy wasn't just that the temple would be rebuilt, but... It was that the land would die, lie desolate and yet you've got no problem fixing up your own house. You've got no problem making plans for your future. This is what God was saying to them. But yet you've got no drive to do anything about my house. And so the prophet began to deal with them. He began to tell them, don't you realize there's a reason why Nothing seems to be working for you. There's a reason why he said that you, you try to gather in the seed and God said, I just blow on it. God said, you put your money in a bag, but I've poked holes in the bag. And it just seems like nothing you try to do is working right. God said, why don't you stop and think about it for a minute? There's a reason why nothing's working right. It's because I'm trying to get your attention. Because I'm trying to get you back to work doing what I've called you to do. And then we closed the lesson last week by pointing out to you what is, I believe, one of the greatest testimonials recorded in the prophets. It is at the end of chapter 1 where the Bible lets us know that the people of God responded to the preaching. Something happened in their hearts, in their mind, and in their spirit. They'd heard others preach it. They'd heard others talk about it. But something happened. The Spirit of God came down and they received with meekness that engrafted word and they said we get it preacher we finally get it our eyes are open we understand now it's time for us to get busy doing what God brought us to this land to do in my closing remarks last week I said to you that when my children were due 
coming, we're about to be born. And even with my children's children, I, I know we didn't wait until after the birth to get a nursery ready. And that's what God was saying to Israel. I know 70 years has been proclaimed, but you don't wait until things are born to get the room ready. God's saying it's time to get it ready right now because the moment is nigh upon us. And when that moment happens, I want everything to be in place. And that's where we ended up last week. I'm telling you tonight, church, again, as I said to you last Thursday night, I am convinced in my spirit this is not like any time in the past 20 plus years. This is a different moment than what we have ever faced before. And I'm telling you that God is calling on the church. It's time to get the nursery ready. It's time for us to start building the house of God. It's time for us to start making plans and preparations because the moment is nigh at hand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now I I went through last week the outline of the book, which I'm sure nobody remembers, but because I don't remember without looking at my notes. It's just one of those things, but it helps us. Ah, but chapter one is his first sermon, and it was a call to completion. It's time to get the work done. The second sermon that he preached are verses one through nine of chapter two. We're going to start there tonight, but it was a call to courage. All right, you got to get a job done, but you're going to have to get the backbone to do it. The reason why it stopped to begin with is because there was opposition. And don't think there's not going to be opposition this time. Well, I could say that again. Because every time God gets ready to do something, just count on the devil sticking his nose right in the middle of the business. He's going to do his best to stir things up. He's going to make things miserable at home. He's going to make things miserable on the job. He's going to make things miserable with your friends. He's going to make things miserable everywhere he can. Because if he can get you distracted, then the work will continue to just wait. And so not only does there have to be a recognition that the job's got to be finished, but somebody's got to get the backbone to say, I don't care what problem comes my way, I'm going to fight my way through it, and we're going to get it done. So chapter 2, verses 1 through 9 is a call to courage. Chapter 2, verses 10 through 19 is a call to cleansing. And we'll talk about this, Lord willing, in just a few moments, but a call to cleansing, and then verses 20 to 23, the last four verses of chapter two is a call to the chosen one. And so we're gonna, we're gonna look at these things here tonight for just a little while. If you've got your Bible open, we're gonna start here in chapter two. As I said, chapter two, verses one through nine, and we're not gonna look at every verse tonight. I don't have time to look at all of them, but we're gonna kind of skip through some of these. But I want you to look at verse number three. That's where we'll start uh, in this call to courage as, as Haggai begins his second discourse. He once again brings to them a very probing question. Haggai chapter two and verse three. Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? So here's the question. Here's the question. Who's left among you that saw this house before it was destroyed? Does anybody remember the way things were? Does anybody recall the way the temple used to look? He said, now look at it now. Let's compare what was to what is. And he said, isn't it in your eyes as though it's nothing? Now let me just remind you how the first temple looked. First Kings chapter 6, verse 22. And 
the whole house he overlaid with gold until he had finished all the house. Also, the whole altar that was by the oracle he overlaid with gold. And this is just one verse. This is just, this is just one example of what that temple was like. Everything was gold. You talk about a beautiful place. The gold was pure. It was polished. You walked in. You could see your reflection in the purity of this gold. I'm telling you what a glorious place it was. And now they're looking at a foundation. And even what they build, they don't have, they don't have what their forefathers had. You remember, you remember those Jews were slaves when they left Egypt, but there was something that happened on the night they left. Do you remember? God said, borrow from the Egyptians. That's what he said, borrow from the Egyptians. So that's what they did. They didn't steal, they borrowed. But you know what happened? Those Egyptians died in the, in the river. So, you know, you borrow something and the guy dies. Well, you know, you just inherited it, right? God said, I want you to borrow from the Egyptians jewels and gold and silver. And they did. And then God didn't say, I want you to adorn yourself with it. He said, I want you to build me a house out of this. And I'm telling you, all of that they had taken from the Egyptians, they put it into the house of God. And everything was beautiful. And everything was gorgeous. And everything was immaculate. Now they're coming back from Babylon. They didn't borrow anything from the Babylonians. They don't have the tools they had when the first house was built. They got to make do with stone and wood. Maybe a few colored rocks here and there. And God said, just take a look at it. The remnant that was there didn't have the finances or the resources to build a temple that was nearly as nice as what Solomon had built. Didn't have the resources or the finances to build a tabernacle that was as nice as what Moses had built. But God let them know that's not a reason to be discouraged. Listen to what he says, verses 4 and 5. Yet now be strong. Be strong. O Zerubbabel. O Zerubbabel. Saith the Lord. Saith the Lord. Be strong. Be strong. O Joshua. O Joshua. Son of Josedek. Son of Josedek. The high priest. Uh-huh. Be strong. Be strong. All you people, All of, the you land, people of the land. Saith the Lord. Saith the Lord. And work. And work. Why? For I am with because you. Because I'm with you. You may not have the money. You may not have the resources. But you've got one thing they had. You've got me. I am on your side. This is my will. This is my work, and I'm going to see to it that it gets done. Quit talking about what you don't have. Quit talking about what you lack, and recognize what you possess. I'm telling you, the devil would like nothing better than for us to look around at empty spots on pews. Empty parking spaces. The devil would like nothing better than for us to get our minds and focus on who's not here. But I want to call your attention tonight to who is here. His name is the I Am. He's here tonight. He's in this house tonight. And I'm telling this church that he's speaking to us. And he's saying to us what he said to them. Get your eyes off of what you're lacking. Get your eyes off of what you don't have. And get them back on me. And see if I won't provide everything you need to get this job accomplished. Verse 5. According, according to, the, to word the word that I have covenanted. Listen, here's what he said. He said, according to the promises 
that I made to you. When you came out of Egypt. According to the promises that I made. Read. So my spirit, so my remains, spirit among remains among you. Fear you not. Don't be afraid. Are you hearing me, new life? God said, you remember every promise I've ever made you. God said, I'm going to stand good for my word. I'm not going to let one promise fall to the ground. I'm not going to let one word falter or fail. Everything that I have said, I'm going to do it. That's why you don't have to worry. That's why you don't have to be afraid. Not one jot, not one tittle of anything that I've spoken is going to fail in any way. The world may pass away, but the word of the Lord is going to stand forever. So quit looking at what you don't have and look at what you do have. What you do have is God. And then listen to what God says in verse 8. The silver is mine. Because the silver is mine. The gold is mine. And the gold is mine. Says the Lord. Why are you worried about resources? Why are you worried about how you're going to afford it? Why are you worried about how you're going to get it done? I'm telling you that whatever you need to accomplish my will, I'm going to give it to you. I've already got it. God doesn't have to borrow. God doesn't have to take out a loan. God doesn't have to beg. God doesn't have to steal. He owns the cattle of a thousand hills, and he owns the hills the cattle are grazing on. I'm telling you, whatever God wants to do in this church, he's got the resources. All we need is him. And so this second sermon of Haggai's ends with a promise. Now, now you got to, see, we, 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 we quote this scripture a lot. We talk about the scripture a lot. But, but I'm, to me, Brother Sisler, when I read it in context, it just, it just becomes so much more beautiful. Because he said to them, he's, he spent the whole first chapter saying, you got to get up, you got to get to work, you got to do something. And then he says, look, don't worry about what you don't have. Don't worry about who's against you. I'm with you. And everything you lack, I possess. And then he makes this promise in verse 9. The glory of this latter house. And the glory of this latter house. Shall be greater. Is going to be greater. Than of the former. Than of the former. Says the Lord. Saith the Lord of hosts. And in this and place. In this place. I, give I will give saith the Lord of hosts. Now look, he didn't say the beauty of the latter house is going to be greater. He didn't say the dimensions of the latter house is going to be greater. He said the glory of the latter house is going to be greater. Let me tell you something. In the Jewish mind, in the Jewish mind, there has only been two temples. In the Jewish mind, there's only been two temples. I, I never really understood this until I went to Israel. And, and then they explained it. And, and I got it now. I understand. Uh, you, you know, the, 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 the building that these, the remnant built under the leadership of Zerubbabel wasn't nearly, nearly what Solomon's was. But they still talk about the second temple and, and when I was there, they, they showed us artifacts. They said, this comes from the second temple era. Well, in my mind, I'm thinking second temple, Zerubbabel. This uh, inadequate structure. But no, what happened was that King Herod came along many years later. And he took what was already there and he elaborated on it. And, and because sacrifice did not cease when they went from the building of this remnant's temple to Herod's temple, sacrifices continued. So in the Jews' mind, that's one continual temple. 
Now this is important because I'm going to tell you what happened in that second temple. It was in that second temple that the man Christ Jesus walked in. I'm telling you, what, what they built as a remnant didn't look like what Solomon had built. But Solomon never experienced what the second temple experienced. Solomon may have felt the glory, but I'm telling you, those that were standing in Herod's temple saw the glory. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Oh, I feel this tonight. This is not just some sermon that I'm, I feel like I've got a word from the Lord. God has got a glory. He wants to put in this place that is greater than anything we've ever imagined. I thought about it. I thought about it, Brother Brandon. I and many others have looked back wistfully on the Brush Arbor days and the glory of what they saw and the miracles and the people being added to the church every day. I've thought back wistfully at the book of Acts and the glorious church God started and then we look at what we have today and where we are. If we're not careful, we get that same attitude the Jews had that this house is nothing. But God's saying something to us tonight. Don't look at what your eyes behold. Understand it's my time and it's my will and it's my purpose and I'm telling you I'm going to send my glory into this latter house and it's going to be greater I wish somebody believed me tonight. It's going to be greater than the former house. I don't care if we're talking about Brush Arbor days or we're talking about Book of Acts days. I believe the glory that God wants to give is greater in this latter house than the former house could ever be. I don't know if I'm going to get any farther or not. I'm going to tell you this is the way God works. This is the way God works. God continues to exceed his greatness. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19. Listen to this. Listen to Ephesians 1 19. I want you to hear this verse. And what is the exceeding what greatness? What is the exceeding greatness of his power, of his power to, usward, to usward who believe, who believe according, according to, the to the working of his, mighty, of his power. mighty power? Now, this says the exceeding greatness, but the original word here is, uh, it actually means the surpassing greatness. Uh, of his power to usward. Uh, one commentator said it means to transcend, to surpass, to exceed, to excel. Amen. As one elder put it, that what this verse is telling us is that God continues to exceed his own greatness. Whatever greatness you've heard about God in the past, it's nothing compared to what God will be and is. I'm telling you, all it's going to take is for us to get to where God wants us to be. Start doing what God wants us to do. And God's going to make himself greater and greater and greater in our midst. I'm telling you, the brush arbor was nothing compared to what God wants to do in this hour. I got a lot more notes, but I feel like, I feel like talking about this for a little while. 
I feel like talking about this for a little while. I've heard some stories, Brother Sisler. I've heard some stories about the Brush Arbor days. I've heard some things that happened. I heard old Brother Lonnie Marcus talk about being in services way back then. And he said somebody would stand up on this side of the congregation and start singing in tongues. And he said it wasn't long. Somebody else would stand up in the crowd and they started singing in perfect harmony. Same words as what the first one was saying. And then he said a third voice would join in. Perfect harmony. Same words. You can't make that stuff up. That's not charismatic stuff. I'm telling you, God was doing something great. I heard one elder talk about a woman, very poor. She was the piano player, had a low church, didn't amount to much, didn't have a very big crowd, but they had the power of God there. She was a prayer warrior, but she was also a great piano player. And they said one night she didn't have transportation to get to church, and it was a long ways off. She said, I don't have any way to get there. I want to be in church, and they need me. She sat down at the piano in her home and started playing, and before long, the Holy Ghost swept in, and, and and she felt this glory and she just got lost in the spirit as she played and when she opened her eyes they said she was sitting in the church on the piano bench God had picked her up and put her over there don't say it can't happen God did it God did it when he sent Philip he picked him up in the spirit and took him somewhere else I'm telling you tonight but what they saw back then God wants to exceed his own greatness God wants to show himself even greater in this hour than what he did back then oh God I'm telling you church if I've ever felt anything in the Holy Ghost I feel what I'm preaching to this church tonight I'm telling you God has got such great things that are just hovering just above our heads and God's speaking to us saying come on come on I know you've heard it for 20 years I know you've heard it but he says I'm now now's the time this is the moment this is the hour don't let the devil talk you out of it don't let the devil cause you to doubt it don't let the devil bring something in that's going to destroy it there's something great about to happen oh god let's lift our hands and love the lord let's love the lord let's love the Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. I got a lot more, I got a lot more, but I'm not gonna try to push it any farther than this. I'm telling you, God wants to show himself great in our midst. God wants to exceed his own greatness. In this church, God wants to do it. Come on, somebody get a hold of it. Somebody reach out in faith right now. Somebody lay hold on this promise. Don't you let the devil lie to you and say,
say our best days are behind us. I'm telling you, we haven't scratched the surface of what God intends to do right here in this church and in this city and in this metropolitan area. We have not seen a drop in the bucket compared to what God has got in mind for us. Come on, let's praise him. Let's praise him. Let's praise him. The glory of this latter house is going to be greater than the former. The glory of the latter house is going to be greater than the former. My Lord, my Lord, my Lord, my Lord. Oh, God. Ooh, Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Ah, do you believe what I'm preaching to you tonight, church? Do you really believe what I'm preaching to you? God wants to exceed his own greatness in our midst. God wants to do greater than he's ever done before in our midst. Ooh. Hallelujah. Let's everybody gather around the front. Let's talk to the Lord. Let's thank him. Let's praise him. Let's worship him. Let's let him know we believe it. Let's let him know we claim his promise. We're standing on his word. And we're going to do everything he wants us to do until it happens. <laughs> 